Check, 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 check. Guys, it's the Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rapport. This week, are you ready for BA's Best Matzo Ball Soup Recipe? Thanks to Molly Boz. She developed this recipe recently. Uh, did all sorts of research investigating and tasting and developing and tasting again and testing. She talked to me. She talked to my good friend, Mitchell Davis, chief strategy officer of the James Beard Foundation and a matzo ball soup aficionado uh, who actually joins us on this podcast to debate the finer points of the finest soup there is, matzo ball soup. After that, associate editor Hillary Cadigan reads her essay, The Best Worst Takeout Counter Employees Suburban Boston Has Ever Seen, which is part of our ginormous Red Sauce America package that came out yesterday, both in the May issue of Bon Appetit and on bonappetit.com. You'll find all sorts of stories, essays, and recipes in the package, uh, all of them in celebration of old-school Italian-American restaurants. You can read them by going to bonappetit.com slash red sauce, or you can pick up the May issue of Bon Appetit. And with that, let's do this. Here is Molly Boz, Mitchell Davis, and me. Guys, can I admit something to you? Uh-oh. Go for it. I'm a bad Jew. I have never made matzo ball soup before. Oh, oh, Are you freaking kidding me? Well, it's what. Well, maybe I'm a good Jew. I'm a nice Jewish boy, and that my mom is the one who makes it every single year. And you can't get in on that game. Like this Maxine is, is going to make her matzo ball soup, and that is that. It's not even open for discussion. This is why you're never supposed to marry a nice Jewish boy. Well, this makes me actually feel better about the fact that I was assigned to develop BA's best matzo ball soup because I think. Obviously, I'm not Jewish, but obviously, even <laughs> but neither is he. Never even made it. <laughs> I know. So. yeah, but it's like that's like you know we I never probably had never done my laundry till I was like 24. You know, oh, um, that's a whole other story. Uh, marry a wasp. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you married a nice I'm Jewish boy. I married a boy. Jew, so oh, I feel like I'm. Okay, so this is good for you then that you've been developing this yeah, recipe. Yeah, and he's been tasting it along the way. The first round of it was not. Oh, it's not up to, to his pot. standards. No, it wasn't Interesting. right. What's, and I knew it. What sort of feedback did he give you? It was, I think it wasn't chickeny enough, mm. the broth. Like it wasn't chicken forward. It tasted more of roasted vegetables in the first round mm. because I had roasted the vegetables, which subsequently yeah, which I removed no from the Jew recipe. Which no Jew has ever done, yeah. really. Well, yeah. I, I remember making a chicken soup uh, with a friend who was a chef from Middle Europe. His name was Daniel Hutnik, and he- Did you say Middle Europe? Yes, Middle Europe. <laughs> that's the is, word. That a, is that yeah. a Game of Thrones <laughs> thing or something? What is it? <laughs> uh, no, that's Middle Earth, and it's a different genre of fantasy. I uh, no, that's the name of it. Oh. We don't. That's that's that region where like Poland, Hungary and, and yeah, Poland. all of yeah, those all right, places. Sure. Middle right. Europe. Maybe okay. it's a French word. Anyway, but he went to put garlic in, and I stopped him before it dropped because there was just never ever any garlic or green pepper. Any, I mean, chicken soup is pretty pure in the Jewish Ashkenazi mm. idiom. Oops. There is well, garlic in the soup. <laughs> yeah. So oh, okay. Ooh, so that's okay. interesting. Well, let's talk about that. So as far as I can tell never having made matzo ball soup. Uh, you, you've got the broth itself, mm-hmm. you have the matzo balls, and then you have the presentation and assemblage of the soup when it's time to serve. So let's start off with the broth. Molly, I'm curious what you did in terms of how you got to where you got, and then Mitchell, I've had your matzo ball soup, which is memorable to say the least, and I'm curious how your guys' differ. So Molly, it's you wanna start off? It's a I've never had his soup. I, it's a bummer I didn't bring any. Yeah, I don't know I do what think I was thinking. Although I've got a new soup now, and it's a, a, like this is big news for me and everyone who knows me. But a new matzo ball soup? 
since we last spoke? Yeah. Well, yeah. You changed the recipe. Well, Friday, I made a Yemenite chicken soup that was, according to a Polish woman who is not Jewish, but who knows her way around soup, the most delicious soup she'd ever had in her life. And when I had it for leftovers last night for dinner... Nate, my husband, and I thought, I think this is our new soup. Oh, my God. I know. Oh, jeez. I can't wait to hear about it. Anyway. Well, let's hear about Molly's first. Okay. So the, we're talking broth yeah. first. So this recipe uses wings only mm. for the broth. Love that. Because those Six are easy to buy. pounds of wings. You frugal in a Jewish kind of way. Yes. <laughs> and there's frugal. lots of collagen in the wings, so it gives the broth really good body. This actually sat over the weekend, and when it came in this morning, it was solid. Nice. I love that. Nice. That's like, how like, much like collagen. gelatinous. Yeah. Yeah. La- last night when my soup was solid, I said, look, this is so cool. And my husband went, ugh. And it yeah, wobbles. What does he know? It's, it's like so exciting jello. when I you're also, a soup. I also like the fact that you can typically just buy a package of wings at the grocery store yeah. in the cellophane wrapped in it. They're like they're very accessible. You don't have to get like the feet and the backs and all that sort of stuff. Like so, just wings, six pounds. Six pounds of wings, and this serves eight people. Okay. Um, and so my first tests, I did just wings and like classic mirepoix, so celery, carrot, onion. I used garlic and black peppercorns and some parsley. And the wings were unroasted. The gar- the vegetables were unroasted. So that was the first round. Mm-hmm. It felt lackluster. Mm. So the next round, I introduced some other vegetables. Thanks to you, I added parsnips. Mm. I think that you talked about parsnips, parsnips or turnips. turnips. Both, yeah. I tried it with both. Ended up with just parsnips. Mm-hmm. I think either of them would work fine. They kind of impart the same flavor. Which is a bit of sweetness. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's Vanilla-ish also, almost, yeah, it has like an earthy mm-hmm. thing to it also. Um, second round, I ended up roasting everything because I wanted the flavors to be more prominent. So I roasted the wings and also the veg. Separately, though? Separately on two sheet trays in the oven, same time. Cool. That like stock, what? T- what temp and how long are we doing that for? 450 for like 45 to 55 minutes. Okay, so for a while. Yeah. Sounds more French than Jewish, but okay. yeah. Well, there's some French. Yeah. I come from some French <laughs> yeah. kitchens. Yeah, but they're having a t- difficult time right now. Yeah, and that version was too veg forward, mm. and I think that's the version that I brought home to my husband, and he was like, because it's not because you roasted the veg, you think? Yeah, so I roasted the yeah, veg, so the cooked off a lot of the water, out, yeah. caramelized yeah. them, concentrated. So those them. flavors got much more pronounced. Yeah, mm. and I wanted them ultimately to actually be background. So the final version here is. Roasted wings, raw veg. Mm. Question. So when you roast all these wings on a sheet rack, A, do you salt them at all? No. No. B, what do you do with all the fat that collects? It goes into the soup. Save that for the soup and the matzo balls. Yeah. So you collect in what we call schmaltz. Yes. So But you pour it off and set it aside? So I, it kind of depends how you make this soup. I have them all, all the juices, because it's not just schmaltz that comes out. There's also just juice and so you can't just consider that all schmaltz so i have it all being poured into the stock and then it's a pretty fatty unctuous soup if you eat it just like right after it's cooked if you leave it over the weekend which i did this weekend you can then skim the fat because it if, congeals if that if you want if you to. want to so i skimmed some of it but i left a lot of it in here for this one because i think that's i mean it's flavor the so, italians call those little uh, beads of fat on the top of a soup, the occhi, the eyes. Oh, I love those, yeah. There should thing. be some schmaltzy occhi in this. <laughs> I, love how, I love how this looks. So you, you've you got your tray 
of nicely browned wings and all the juice and the schmaltz, the schmutz. Uh, you just pour that in a big stock pot with the vegetables. Yep. Cover with I know one thing I always screw up with. I'm a bad soup maker. I just don't have the touch, and I I feel like I always get the ratio of water to bone slash vegetable wrong. I feel like I always add too much water, mm. and so it's not concentrated enough. Like, how much do you how, how do you know what to add? Well, I this has a measured amount of water in the recipe. So it's 16 cups, four quarts of water, with the understanding that over the hour and a half that it's cooking, it's going to reduce a bit and it's going to net out at about 12 cups, which is one and a half cups per serving if you're serving eight people. Okay, top off. When you're boy, it was simmering. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The beauty of simmering is you can also reduce it more and add a little water or whatever. You can taste yeah. it as it goes. Sure. So, Mitchell, at this point, I don't know does- what she's making. <laughs> wow! Wow! You, did you hear that, Molly? Oh, I heard it. Molly's <laughs> eyes are agog right now. So what? So what's going on in the Davis recipe? Uh, well, I mean, okay, uh, I, I'm sure tr- it's delicious and it smells really good. I have to say that, but mostly that's the smell of dill and that that the chicken need. I love the idea of chicken forward. But when I think of ro- the roasted, I'm curious to taste it because when I think of roasted chicken, it's it's a different thing from the taste of soup. So um, first, I always start with a stewing hen which is an old bird that you either have to order specially from a butcher or if you go to a Latin American market, they always have them, which I just, you know, kudos to the Latin American cooks who know the difference. So it's a chicken you wouldn't eat or roast. It usually has mangy, small stringy breasts, if I can (laughs) say that. (laughs) And can be yellowish too, in a way that chickens aren't anymore. They used to be, but now they're all Mm. so white. Yeah. So, and I use the feet always for some of that gelatinous flavor. And I've never roasted a chicken or cooked anything before it went in the pot. And I don't even mostly ever uh, skim or some people boil the meat and a few of the aromatics and then then add everything else. And in our family, it just all went in at once. So pots, onions, pot, carrots. Everything, celery. Do, do, you, do you chop up the chicken first? Just in quarters, really. Okay. Yeah. And I also always keep backs and wing tips and things in the freezer and those go in and the gizzard goes in and the neck goes in and everything goes in. Mm. Yeah. So, and you simmer for about how long? Three hours. Oh, three hours. Yeah. So this is an hour and a half. Um, yeah. And I think that, but the, the roasting, roasting probably brings the flavor out. Right. Yeah. So it's like concentrating the flavor. So if you fi- factor that into sure. the total cook time, it's about two and a half hours. And obviously at the end of three hours, but the chicken and the vegetables are sort of dead. And I usually take them out and sort of cook a garnish afterwards of veg rather than eat the Oh, so you, instead of like Although, mushy carrots, you want fresh yeah. carrots. Before for, it for goes in the same. garbage, I kind of pick them out because I love them. Yeah. <laughs> Falling apart mushy <laughs> carrots and celery and, and the chicken bits. But well, so, all right. So then that's an interesting point. So you're, you've got this mangy old stewing hen. It's spent. Mm-hmm. You're getting rid of it after the it's broth process. Yep. Molly, are you adding new chicken meat to the broth? after it's been cooked? What is, what's that process yes. for you? So halfway through the simmering of the broth, I'm dropping in four seasoned chicken legs. Skin on? Yeah. Okay. So that's doubling down on chicken flavor Smart. that is being imparted into the broth. And then unroasted. also unroasted. Yeah. And then leaving you with super tender, shreddy leg meat because there's nothing I hate more than overcooked breast meat Straight in yeah. mozzarella soup. Yeah. Just no flavor. There's no breast dry. Here. Yeah. My new soup has those legs. The Yemenite so soup? Yes. We're coming together. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's got legs. 
So that's interesting because so Maxine Rappaport every Passover, which we're coming up on in a few days. So she never puts chicken in there. It's the broth. It's the matzo balls. It's the we actually dill. didn't traditionally either. The chicken because it was this bent, overcooked hen went into chicken salad yeah. for lunch. I would, I would, I would like. I don't think you necessarily if you're having a meal like at Passover where there's multiple courses and you got the. The chicken marbella or something coming 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 next. I don't think the you traditional necessarily Passover chicken yes. marbella. Boz and I have a. You can watch our uh, pork marbella video on uh, YouTube, which is super photo. kosher for yeah. Passover. Exactly. <laughs> I, I don't There's know. no flour in it anyway. You don't you don't really need chicken in your matzo ball soup when you're having all this other food. But I do like the notion of chicken in matzo ball soup if that's your sort of that's your moment that's your meal. Totally. Agreed. And if you are making this around the holidays and you don't want the chicken legs, you can proceed with the recipe without dropping those in. Yeah. Right. You know, it'll still be flavorful. And here's the only thing I'll say in favor of the stringy breast meat, which is if you put noodles in and there's some big pieces of dill and you sort of take a spoonful and it kind of makes a little tangle of all that stuff, it's pretty pretty good. <laughs> it's passable. <laughs> you're Passoverable. You're, yeah, yeah. You're also the guy who's ba- you just admitted you're basically eating the mushy vegetables out of the garbage. I am. <laughs> And you use a mangy hen. <laughs> mangy hen. That's, we should we should open a pub called the Mangy Hen. <laughs> uh, it's probably taken. Okay, so we've got this golden, deep golden. How would you describe the color of your broth, Molly? Let me take a look. Okay, yeah. It's a nice golden brown. It's not like a deep sort of. It's not that consomme color. It's not that. It was originally Amber. when I had all of the roasted veg in it. It was uh-huh. super dark, but so much so that you couldn't really see the chicken or the vegetables in it. Yeah. And I don't think people, that's not iconic enough. No, no and it goes know, more tradi- French. Traditionally, yeah. people leave onion skins on to make it yellow. Oh, yeah. 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 That. Like Second Avenue Deli, I've convinced, has onion skins in their soup. Yeah, that, that's like neon yellow yeah. almost. Okay, so we got this broth, smells delicious. Again, I've never made a matzo ball, so I don't even know. I know my moms are nice and not too dense, and but they have enough body. Like Mitchell, talk to us about matzo balls and getting that texture that you want to get. And what do you think the correct texture of a matzo ball yeah, is? I, I like matzo balls to be light and cooked through. And when I was working years ago now, 15 years ago or more on a Jewish cookbook, I tried to scientifically determine what made them dense or light so that I could provide a recipe for each, you know, to please oh. the please the eater, so to speak. Uh, I failed miserably, and in fact, one famous matzo ball, someone tried to cut with a knife, and it literally bounced out of the bowl. <laughs> it was so dense, <laughs> let's say. So I just stuck with my mom's, which is a variant of what's on the box, compensating for her poor measuring skills and her inability sometimes to even read clearly <laughs> while she was cooking and smoking and talking on the phone at the same time. Um, so we used to think ashes and a few rubber bands were the secret yeah, to yeah. chicken soup. But um, so to me, the secret is to use schmaltz for starters. And if not schmaltz, then butter, if we're not caring about kosher things. And, and most Jews use oil, which is parv, and it makes a leaden matzo ball, I think. And then a little, a higher proportion of eggs than you might see in some mm. recipes and to handle them gently I think is the thing that determines whether they become floaters or sinkers yeah. at least in my experience and people want to ball them and roll them yeah. like they're making meatballs and whatever and I barely coax them into a sphere well, we, always, we always talk about that when grilling burgers or making burgers you want to you don't want to pack it. You just want to shape the burger as loosely as possible and don't press down on it and don't Same. condense it 
uh, yeah. let it hold together just enough. So Molly, talk to us through yours and does this jibe with uh, what, what Mitchell said? This does not jibe. Oh my God, the two of you. <laughs> but I think that makes for good conversation. <laughs> okay, so I pretty systematically went through all of the variables. Mm-hmm. So does yours have baking powder in it, by the way? Mm-mm. Okay, so I tested these out always with schmaltz. Some of them had seltzer in mm-hmm. them for additional lightness and lift. Some of them had baking powder. Some of them had none. And then varying degrees of all of those ingredients. And then I also tested it out with beating egg whites separately oh. and folding them in, which is kind of arduous and- uh, And very French. Also very French. Yes. So yeah, so just walk us through the process. Again, I've literally have never made matzo balls. So what goes in? So okay, so- Matzo meal. You start with beaten eggs. Okay, beaten eggs. So this has six whole eggs, this recipe, Mm -hmm. and it makes 16 balls. Six whole eggs beaten. It has a half a cup of schmaltz, which is a higher ratio than you'll see like on the back of the matzo meal box, Mm -hmm. for example, because there's so much flavor in schmaltz, and it's what gives them all of their flavor. And you can find schmaltz these days at a lot of good markets in the refrigerated section. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, or you can use duck fat. You can yeah. use it. Yeah, yeah. It's duck not fat, that hard chicken to come fat. By. You'll find it. Yeah. Um, so a half a cup of schmaltz. It has a couple tablespoons of chopped dill in it. Nice. That was just an fancy. addition, a little fancy addition. <laughs> Some black pepper, not a ton, just a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, a good amount of salt. There's nothing worse than an under-seasoned mm-hmm. matzo ball. Agreed. And then six tablespoons of broth, chicken broth or water. Mm. I notice that when you're using schmaltz, there's so much flavor coming from that. The broth versus the water like really doesn't make that much of a difference. But if you're already making soup and you have the broth, you might as well throw it in there. And then one and a half cups of matzo meal. Explain matzo meal to those who have not handled matzo meal. It is finely ground matzo. Akin to breadcrumbs, kind yeah. of, or yeah, very, yeah, yeah. Very. So it's it has it's, it's from the cooked matzah, so it has no yeah. gluten uh-huh. qualities. So it's like a breadcrumb, yeah, cr- so cracker crumb. So you literally just stir all that together. You fold it all together. You let it sit for in my recipe thirty-five to forty-five minutes, and it hi- the matzah meal hydrates, and it goes from this batter-like consistency to something that is formable into balls. Oh. Yeah, near solid because the schmaltz also hardens. Right? Totally, yeah. as it chills. All right, so your thoughts on forming the ball and what size ball? <laughs> Wait, hold on. Oh, I'm just, I'm right. not done oh, here not done because yeah. we didn't get to the bottom of the whole seltzer, baking powder, or none yeah. conversation. And in all of the tests that we ate side by side, we all preferred the texture of the balls that had no seltzer, no baking powder, really? and too. were pretty well handled balls. Okay. Hmm. I would have thought the baking powder would be one of those things that makes it lighter and they airier. They were too light. They were oh. so light that they ended up kind of just unraveling into the soup, and we felt like... Too dainty. Yeah. We yeah. wanted something with like a little bit more Heft. substance. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't uh, call them dense. I don't. I, well, so far, might. I don't really seem to disagree, <laughs> except for the handling. Maybe you're more delicate in your so, handling. So, yeah, well, right. so, what, so what, how, what size are you making, and how do you form them? Um, so mine are one and a half inches... Mm-hmm when uncooked. of uncooked mm-hmm. matzo meal mixture and then that expands to like two and a half inches so what size what would you what well, sort of ball would you see. compare they're it to? like between a Small. golf ball and a tennis ball like maybe like a, a spaldine like one of the uh stick Squash. balls the, 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 the yeah. orange oh, yeah. Yeah, i mean not the orange the pink you know rubber balls your dad would play stick ball with back in brooklyn um i never played that uh, game no, no. <laughs> i didn't have a dad <laughs> 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 
died when I was younger. Dan Rappaport would play the uh, the stickball back in Flushing, Queens, where he grew nice. up. And then, and then I'm pretty. I'm rolling them pretty well so that they are sphere. They're spherical okay. when you drop them in. If you don't, which is what Mitchell yeah. does, they're a little bit shaggier and a little less oh, well, shapely. Oh. Although they're spheres, they're so spheres. maybe it's more than I'm saying. I oh, wonder because okay. I do know I'm a family. I'm doing like this motion, which you yes. guys can't see, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're both yeah with wet hands, sort of. Yeah, to, yeah. No, I do, they go in round, but okay. not like. Compressed. Do you yeah. know anyone who does like a canal or anything like that? No, but I, where I will be spending Passover at our friends, the Gottliebs on the mm-hmm. Upper East Side, they you like don't them. Say. They like them to be like sludgy mush on the bottom of the bowl. Like huh. they, if they come out, they cut them all up. But so they really do fall apart. They're sort of just scooped in. And do you know anyone who use ever uses like an ice cream scoop? You know, with the well, little. Well, I tried that actually you know, after you our conversation. And it comes out. Yeah, because Mitchell was saying when we spoke on the phone before I started developing that he found the less handled they were, yeah. that the better the texture. And so I thought, why not use an ice cream scoop where you're basically mm. not handling them at all? And they just were, they were, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I, maybe I'm, maybe it's just the words that are wrong. It sound, I mean, the recipe and what you described sound like our mat- my matzo right. So final question before we taste Molly's soup, because I'm starving right now. It's about <laughs> 12, 15 p.m. Does it matter w- when you actually drop the matzo balls into the soup in terms of, can they overcook? Can they? Are they? Are what? Yeah, talk me through that. Well, I cook. I don't. You don't cook them in the soup. I don't cook them in the soup. You cook oh, them really? in boiling salted oh, water. Geez, Adam, get wow. with the program. Yeah, really. I, I, I've never done this because that will make a sort of cloudy. Oh, icky the broth. Soup. The, the broth. Yeah. Oh, duh. So you cook them outside the soup in salted yes. water till they almost double in like, size like and cook all the way through. Yeah. Would, yeah, And then you lift them from the water into the hot soup. At least that's what I do. And they sort of stay there until you're ready to serve them. So what if you're making soup ahead of time, a couple of days ahead of time? Will you put them in the broth? or would you I do, but separate? I always actually bring the broth up to temperature because you make them, I, I make the matzo balls before the guests come, mm. a, co- a couple hours maybe. Yeah. But I heat the soup and then put them in the hot soup and then let it cool and then heat it again to serve it. That's yeah. what I do. Yeah. The other thing about cooking them separately is that you can heavily season the cooking water, which is seasoning the matzo balls as they're cooking. If you cook them in the soup and you were to season it enough to season the matzo balls, oh, the soup would then you. be too salty. And what we always talk about, you want your pasta water to be really salty so it imbues the yep. pasta with saltiness. Yep. All right, uh, enough talk. Let's quick break. Let's, let's take a quick break and serve ourselves some Molly soup. Are we going to slurp on? I think so. Yeah, we're, we're going, we're going to slurp. All right, so we got Molly soup. Slurp on air. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a real slur. Well, if you're gonna do it, oh. do it. Um, that's quite good broth. It's delicious. All right, now I just did it without slurping. Ah, beautiful texture on these balls, so to speak. All right. Let's talk about the broth first, Mar- Mitchell. What is your broth assessment? The broth is totally yummy. It's nicely salted. Yeah, it's salted with. It's salty like it, with. It's, yes. I would say it's salty without being overly salty. Yeah, exactly. Or, uh, on, just on the edge, but where it should be for. Also, a meal. If, if we can be candid, if you celebrate Passover with some of your older Jewish relatives, their salt levels are typically about twice as high as yours. Our salt tolerance levels are so you gotta yeah you gotta salt it well. Yep. I, I mean, think I have the tolerance of that. That category. That yeah. geri- geriatric. Um, <clears throat> totally <laughs> geriatric palate. No disrespect to Maxine, but. The the texture on the matzo balls is spectacular. Nice. I, I feel like it holds itself together really well. Mm-hmm. Without sometimes with some of those matzo balls, you get to the middle and it gets so dense you've got to like literally push down 
to get through it. I feel like this one, the spoon glides through the matzo ball. Totally. Ball. It it's still maintains pit, it's, its still sort shape. of pillowy. Its flavor is really good. Also nicely salted. I think this, what is the name of this recipe? Bia's Best Matzo Ball yeah. Soup. Well, I haven't had all the others, but <laughs> <laughs> it certainly is delicious. I think it's great. Yeah, and you get the little, the oaky, the little droplets of fat. Um, Any booby would be proud to serve this. And also fresh dill, which I think we all agree is an excellent totally addition true. just before you surface. You, you sprinkle it on top. Yeah, and the, the meat from those legs that were not overcooked is still sort of juicy and chickeny. It's really good. Mm. Thank Yum. you. <laughs> so good. And Molly, so just before we let you go, uh, I think especially if you're hosting Passover, a lot of pressure, people coming over, you got this multi-part meal. Your advice in terms of doing this ahead of time and how far ahead and, and storage and that and whatnot. Um, I wrote it into the recipe more or less so that you can be making the stock and making the matzo balls simultaneously in advance and then poaching them. And if you, I actually have you storing them not in the soup because I don't want the salt levels from inside the balls to come out into the soup oh. through osmosis. So, so like on Friday, you made the, the matzo balls. How did, then how do you store the matzo balls? I made the matzo balls this morning. Okay. But I you made, made the, the soup stock. on, yeah. And you just put that in a plastic container. I just, no, I just kept it in here. Oh, in, this, in the stock pot, in yeah. the fridge. I strained it back into here, shredded the chicken um, legs back into the soup, seasoned it, and then threw it in the fridge. I'm noting the great little collagen gelatinous thing on my lips that's making my lips stick together. Oh, I thought you were saying I had like a piece of dill on no, my lips. You're no. to your lips. It's my <laughs> lips are sticking together in a really fun, delicious lip way. Lip smacking. Mm-hmm. It, exactly. It's, it's like, who needs lip balm when you have like schmaltz? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, so yeah, you could make the, you could make all of it in advance and then you just reheat the balls in the soup. I just wouldn't recommend storing them in the soup for days on end because the seasoning will get all wacky. Okay, so this is delicious. It really is good. It's got me excited for Passover. What's this is? What's the recipe? If you can look for it on the BA site, which you can, it'll be called BA's Best Matzo Ball Soup. It will definitely be out by the time this podcast airs. Molly Boz's recipe for BA's Best Matzo Ball Soup will be live on Bonapete.com. So happy Passover, Mitchell Davis. Good yontif to everybody. Good Good (laughs) yontif. Happy Passover, Molly. Thank you. Thank you. It started with the rolls. That's what they tasked all the noobs with on day one at Bertucci's. Pull the giant white plastic containers full of perforated dough slabs from the walk-in, carry them to the flour splotch counter in the back of the open kitchen, pull them apart, and plop them, one by one, onto a baking sheet. When you first learned to plop rolls, you were careful, until eventually you realized it didn't really matter if you left fingerprints or plopped them too close, or even if you made them into a star shape instead of a ball. They'd puff up exactly the same anyway. Interiors warm and soft, exteriors round and crusty. And if they did end up fusing into one big giant mega roll, well, that meant you got to eat a free snack furtively behind the dumpster with a plate of stolen pizza sauce for dipping. And you could invite Chase, the private school coworker you were in love with, to eat with you and earn his respect by mercilessly making fun of your manager Brent and his too tight pants. I began working the takeout counter at Bertucci's the summer after my junior year of high school. I'd spent the previous summer as a lifeguard at the local country club, testing urine to chlorine ratios, pretending to keep my eyes open behind my sunglasses, eating free chicken fingers from the snack bar, and occasionally getting an entire paid day off because somebody pooped in the kiddie pool and all the pools were connected by one central underground pump. Being a lifeguard was pretty sweet, in other words, but I didn't get asked back, which is the country club way of saying you're fired. So there I was, with the rolls. Located just down the street from my suburban Boston public high school, my Bertucci's was one of several dozen iterations of the family-friendly red sauce chain. 
It beat the Olive Garden in seniority by one year, 1981, baby, but never expanded past Virginia, thus retaining a decidedly New England deficit in mass market sheen. The ceilings were high and the walls were fake stucco, painted the color of old salmon and dotted with black and white posters of Sicilian men riding bicycles. The soundtrack was one scratch CD over and over, featuring strummy guitar versions of every quintessential Italian song, plus, for some reason, the teddy bear's picnic. Days at the takeout counter went like this. Come in wearing the same black shirt-pant combo as yesterday, make the rolls, wait for the phone to ring, ignore Chase in an effort to mask your desperation, plug orders into the POS system, try not to get accidentally on purpose branded by a hot paddle when the cooks pulled pizza from the brick oven, cut said pizzas into reasonably similar sized slices, put an olive in the middle as a symbol of hospitality and perfection, our gift to you, then wait for people to come pick them up and give you somewhere between zero and two dollars as a tip. One of the best things about working takeout at the Tooch was that we got to bring home any orders that didn't get picked up by the end of the night. Not one to miss out on a perfectly good opportunity, I'd have my friend Olivia call in fake orders and usually leave each night with at least two mysteriously unclaimed pizzas. Also not one to be discreet about anything, I told the entire takeout team about my scam, and for several weeks we were all pizza flush. Then one night Brent noticed the dozen unclaimed pizzas left on the to-go rack, took them out back, and, as we all watched in horror, individually stomped on each one and threw them in the dumpster. That was the end of free pizza. The pizza scheme was not the reason I got fired from my job at Bertucci's. The reason I got fired from my job at Bertucci's was that one weekend I happened to be in Martha's Vineyard with my best girlfriend, Harms, when suddenly my Nokia flip phone began to ring. I flipped, and who should it be but Chase? Oh boy! Where are you? He said, and I got very excited until I realized he was asking because I was supposed to be at Bertucci's. Brent came on the phone next and screamed, I don't give a shit where you are, but if you don't walk in this door in 10 minutes, you are fired. Well, Brent, I said, I'm in Martha's Vineyard, so that time window is not looking doable right now. You're fired, said Brent, and hung up. But you know what? Three days later, I showed up for my next shift like nothing happened, and that is how I got myself unfired from Bertucci's. At Bertucci's, meatballs are listed on the menu as polpette, meatballs, in parentheses. I always pronounce them like that thing from which a preacher preaches, a pulpit, and nobody ever corrected me. We also served many types of pasta, none of which I ever learned to properly identify, except tortellini. Despite all that, and the pizza scheme, and the firing, by the summer after my sophomore year of college, I'd finally graduated from takeout counter worker to waitress, where the real money was. Suddenly I was somebody people would ask me what they should order, which struck me as a very hilarious thing to do because of how tips work. I would always suggest a bistecca, which is Italian for steak, and some sautéed mussels, and a glass, hell, why not a bottle, let's live, of Kendall Jackson Vintner's Reserve. I'd done the math. Then one day, when a lady took my advice, my hand slipped, and suddenly time froze as I slow motion dumped an entire pan of sautéed mussel juice down the back of her shirt. And that was the end of recommending the mussels. As the summers wore on, I eventually won over Chase, the private school swashbuckler, at least enough to ride around in his Jeep and make out to dispatch songs while he told me all the reasons he couldn't commit to a relationship. It didn't work out, in the end, but a few years later, my mom saved his mom at the gym after she fell off a treadmill. So there's that. I think he works for Google now. And the tooch itself? Well, almost exactly a year ago, the branch I worked at shut down. Something about rent was the official statement, but my mom has other ideas. Kids just don't work, she says. It's the new thing. Apparently, they all spend their summers doing fancy internships or building structurally questionable schools in Southeast Asia or becoming Instagram influencers or whatever. Working at Bertucci's? No longer cool. <laughs>
But you know what? Joke's on them. Because who now gets paid to write about food? Me. And I owe it all to Bertucci's. The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Carrie Polis and Christina Che and produced and edited by Emma Wartsman. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wartsman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.